coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is When Christians Act Like Everyone Else. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. We're going to be looking at the kings of Israel in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons we're going to, a couple of reasons. Number one is I feel like I'm always referring back to the kings in some way, shape, or form. And so it'd be good for us just to familiarize ourselves with them. But we can learn so much from them. Their strengths, their weaknesses, as well as their victories, their failures. There's so much to learn. But here's the best part about studying the kings. The Bible says uh, that the Old Testament is full of types and shadows. Meaning, when you read the Old Testament, you see the New Testament, but in types and shadows. And the kings of Israel, as amazing as some of them were and as bad as some of them were, they all, in a sense, point us forward to the true king of kings. And so this sermon series, even though it's about the Old Testament kings, it's really about Jesus. Jesus is going to be the center of even this sermon series. So I hope you're blessed. I hope you come. Get word out. Watch online if you miss any of them. And it's going to be great. This is going to be a little bit longer than our normal sermon series, by the way. It's going to run 11 weeks because there are... 40 kings that we could, that's a long series. I don't think you want to do 40, so we're going to get it down to 11. Sound good? So on that note, let me pray for us as we start this series. Well, gracious Father in heaven, as we now open your word and get into the study of the kings of Israel, God, and the true king of kings, Jesus, may our hearts be blessed and may you be glorified. God, refine us now, encourage us, set our hearts ablaze. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So the history of the kings of Israel isn't necessarily a good one. And one of the main reasons for this is the majority of the kings that ruled over Israel were wicked. There were 40, about 40 kings that ruled over Israel, and only eight of them were good. Now, some of the kings were more wicked than others, but even the less wicked ones were still a burden on the nation. It was bad for the nation's overall well-being. And you want to know why that is? Because whenever, and you guys are going to say amen to this, whenever you have somebody wicked ruling over you, it's a drag on your heart, isn't it? It is. And it could be somebody at work. It could be somebody that's put over you at work or somebody in the government or wherever it is. When you have somebody in authority over you that is not, their heart's not right with God. They're ruling from a bad place. It's no good for anyone. And you know how I know that? Because the Bible says as much. (laughs) Proverbs 29.2 says this, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. When the influence of the righteous increase, whether it be their rule or their influence, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. The people groan. So that's so very true. Of course, when you got a king coming to power 3,000 years ago in Israel, you couldn't just vote them out of office. (laughs) They were there for as long as they lived. They either had to die of natural causes, they either had to be assassinated, or they had to be conquered by another country. Listen, imagine having somebody in the presidency, somebody in the White House for 40 or more years. Listen, listen, I don't even care what side of the aisle you're on on this one. That doesn't sound good at all, does it? Um, But the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, they each reigned for 40 years. So three kings reigned over a 120-year period, just three of them out of the 40. So that's pretty incredible. I know some of you just went into shock. I get the defibrillators out, paddles out. I'm like having a presidency in there for 40 years. It's like, shock me back to life. But you want to know what's funny? You can kind of relate to this. We can, because there's a growing chorus of voices in this country demanding term limits upon politicians like senators who get into office and can't, we can't get them out. Amen. Do I hear an amen to that? 
So I was raised in the Bay Area and Diane Feinstein, I, I was there when she became mayor. She was a pretty lady. She was awesome. They're wheeling her in now. You know, and it's, and it's not just her, it's the Republicans too. It's like, oh my goodness, how long are these people? Literally, Dianne Feinstein, and I'm not picking on her, um, she gave power attorney to her children over her and is yet still voting in the Senate. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I can't take care of myself, but I'm going to take care of this country. But it's on the Republican side as well. So it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We have people that get into office and are there forever. Now, here's the point. Kings don't just step aside. The kings of Israel didn't just step aside. They didn't concede power on purpose. No way. When they came to power, they held power again until they were, they either died, were overthrown or conquered. All except one. There was one king who ruled over Israel, who, when the people demanded change, willingly stepped aside and gave the people what they wanted. And this is where any conversation about the kings of Israel really needs to begin. And you know where that is? It's right here. It's Israel's rejection of God as their king. So a little background is important at this point. So from the moment that God called Abraham, you know, Abraham is the founding patriarch of the Jewish nation. So at the Tower of Babel, God, remember the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages of the people and they spread out. And God called one man, Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And remember, Jacob wrestled with God. There's this fascinating story in, in the book of Genesis about Jacob wrestling with God. And Jacob is given a new name, and that name is Israel, Israel, which means Israel means wrestles or contends. El is the name of God, wrestles with God. And then Israel went on, or Jacob went on to have 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. But here's the point. Ever since God called Abraham to be the founding father of the nation of Israel, God reigned as their king. He had been very faithful to them. Even when they had been slaves in Egypt, God, when they cried out, miraculously led them out of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He brought them into the promised land. And you want to know the best part about it? Brace yourselves. Listen to this. They were brought into a land where they were 100% free to build their lives, raise families, own land, engage in commerce, do whatever they want, wanted, build hot tubs, go golfing, whatever. <laughs> but here's the best part with no one other than God ruling over them. Yep. No bureaucrats, no politicians. It was God and the people of Israel in the promised land. Does that sound pretty good? That sounds great. And in this way, the nation of Israel would stand apart from all the other nations. How would that be? It's this. Israel's king would be God himself. All the other nations had kings, finite, frail men ruling over them. One nation, Israel, would stand apart. They were to be a people set apart. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to be set apart. And one of the primary ways that they were set apart from everyone else was God himself was their king. But even under such favorable circumstances, Israel struggled to obey God. And so he leads them into the promised land. And for the next three to 400 years, Israel, we go through this season where Israel disobeys God. He then disciplines them. And then usually by bringing a foreign power to discipline them, and then he raises up a judge or a ruler, not a judge like we know today that sits behind the bench with a gavel, a judge meaning a ruler, uh, somebody with authority that would rise up, deliver the Israelites and restore order. But that person was always temporary. God would raise them up. And then once they did what they needed to do, they stepped aside. And this is how God reigned over his people. We read about this in the book of Judges. That's the book of Judges. It's what happens next that not only changed Israel's history, folks, 
it changed world history. The Israelites started looking at the nations around them. And listen to this. They made the worst political decision in the history of the world. Now, some of you are going, no, 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 no. I've seen some pretty bad political decisions, right? We all have, right? Some of you are older than others, so you've seen more bad political decisions than others, right? Down through the years. But listen, folks, today we're going to be looking at literally the worst political decision in the history of the world, a decision that we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So church, it's on that note. It's my honor to take us to the word of God this morning. Hear the word of God. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And then Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey. And this is one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible. It's here, you're about to read the worst political decision in all of human history. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Amen. Church, hear the word of God this morning. So the Bible, of course, is full of people making really bad mistakes. There's tons of examples. And at the heart of all of these bad mistakes are a few common characteristics. And one of those common characteristics is this. It is the rejection of what God has to offer in favor of what the world has to offer. And this is a perfect example of what Israel did of this very thing. Listen, what I'm about to say, some of you are not going to believe me because what I'm about to say is uh, you're going to put it in the category of unicorn or leprechaun. You're going to go, that doesn't exist. Okay, you guys ready? There is such a thing as a perfect politician. (laughs) But there's only one, and it's God. There's only one in the history of the world. There'll only ever be one. It's God, but there is such a thing as a perfect politician. And Israel had him. Israel had that. They had a king who was, listen to this, all-powerful. Listen, if you could have a politician that was all-powerful, all-knowing, altogether good in every possible way. Would you want it? Of course. And Israel had it, yet they rejected him in favor of what the world has to offer. And what did the world have to offer? A finite, fallen, frail human being like all the other nations had. See, Israel did what we're all prone to do. We can't cast stones at Israel because we're prone to do what they did. And you know what they did? Israel let their earthly desires crowd out an eternal perspective. That's what they did. They started looking at what the world had, and they go, that little seed that was planted in them, they kept watering it, they kept thinking about it, they, and pretty soon it grew, and it took over their lives. Israel let their earthly desires crowd out an eternal perspective. And before I go any further, let me stop and ask you, let me stop and ask myself, are there currently any earthly desires in you that are keeping you from having an eternal perspective? See, Israel's story is really our story. We can look at them and go, well, that happened 3,000 years ago. What does that have to do with us, folks? It has everything to do with us. Now, here's the crazy part. What makes this whole set of circumstances so incredible is that God goes out of his way to warn them just how bad it's going to be to have an earthly politician over them. And I think we'd all agree, even the best of earthly politicians is a far cry from God. Amen? (laughs) Right, amen. I don't care, again, what side of the aisle you are on, this is what we're dealing with. Just listen to the word of God and God's warning to how bad it's going to be. 
So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Here you are. Brace yourself. This is how bad it's going to be. He will take. First words out of Samuel's mouth. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before what? His chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow what? His ground and to reap who? What? His harvest and to make his implements of war. Now listen to this. And the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the 10th of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a 10th of your flocks and you shall be what? His slaves. Now, let me just stop right here, folks. You do understand that in this lifetime, you are a slave to someone. It doesn't matter. We as Christians are doulos. That's the Greek word. We are slaves, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're not a slave to Jesus, don't think you're not a bond servant or a slave to some, someone else. It could be you're a slave to yourself, your own passions, emotions. It could be somebody in your life. It could be that you're, you're a slave to the people that are in authority over you, whatever. You're a slave to somebody. What God is telling the Israelites is, you were bondservants of me. Just know you know, as when you walk away from me, you're not walking into freedom. You're walking into another type of slavery, a slavery that's far worse. And by the way, that's the point. Folks, when you walk out from under the mighty hand of God, you might think there's freedom there. There's not freedom there. There's never freedom from being under the mighty hand of God. And in that day, you, now listen to this. God even says, okay, this is how bad it's going to be. And here's what's going to happen. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king that you have chosen for yourself. And I love this part, but the Lord will not answer you in that day, nor should he. You deserve it. <laughs> Knuckleheads, you walked away from the one thing that everybody wants, a perfect politician, a perfect king, a perfect ruler. You walked away from it. But listen to this. God warns them, this is how bad it's going to be. He says, you're going to regret it. That's what that verse is saying. He goes, I'm telling you right now, you're going to regret it. But what do the people do? Listen to this. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be like, here, here's the kicker, all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. Again, church, hear the word of God. Listen, isn't it amazing that even when we're fully aware of the consequences of choosing what the world has to offer, we still choose what the world has to offer? Amen? We can point fingers at them. You know how many times I've done this in my life? 10 million. 10 million times I've done this. I know what the, wor the world offers me something. I know I'm going to regret that. I know the consequences of it. Let's just go do it. You know, I'm like a lamb to the slaughter. You want a perfect example of this very thing? Here it is. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will or she will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Yet despite such warnings like this, people fall into adultery all the time. 
sometimes even very godly people. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at in a few weeks, one of the good kings of Israel that fell into adultery. Can you think of his name? David. King David. David knew full full well that there was consequences. He just ignored them. He was blind to them. But just like David, the world is going to set similar things before each of us. And if we are not incredibly careful, folks, here's what's going to happen. We are going to let our earthly desires crowd out an eternal perspective. This is precisely what happened to the nation of Israel. The grass seemed greener on the other side of the fence. But just like I said, folks, listen to this. The grass is always greenest under the mighty hand of God. It always is. You're going to look out at what the world has to offer and you're going to go, the grass is greener over there. It's a mirage. The grass is always greenest when you stay under the mighty hand of God, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. You're always best under the mighty hand of God. Don't fall for what the world has to offer you. And yet we know this And yet we so often do this. We walk out from under the mighty hand of God going, I think that's a little bit greener over there. And what happens? We go over there, we taste of it, and we go, it's horrible out here. We come back under the mighty hand of God. And even though God had warned the Israelites of everything that the earthly king was going to take from them, oppose upon them, demand from them, they still pressed forward without giving it a second thought. Look again. He will take the best. He will take a tenth. He was going to take everything from you. Unlike God who requires nothing and needs nothing, an earthly king would require a massive amount of resources to take care of his monarchy, his palace, his personal needs, his chariots, his court. Listen to this. Israel rejected a king who had everything to give and asked for a king who had everything to take. Folks, that's why I say this is the worst political decision in the history of the world. Side note, we see a similar thing happening today, not just not in this country. I already talked about how we want term limits in this country. A similar thing is happening in England with regard to their monarchy. I watched a news segment a while back. There's a group of people who are watchdogs over how much the monarchy in England costs the people, the burden that it places on the people. And they're like, enough is enough. So even today, 3,000 years after this, we see monarchies being burdens upon the people. Now, this raises the all-important question. Why in the world would the Israelites walk away from the perfect politician to walk into the arms of fallen men? Well, our text today tells us why. Again, look, but the people refused to obey the voice of of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And here it is that we may be like all the nations. Israel wanted a king because they wanted to belong. That's it. So instead of being, listen, here's the key. Instead of being a light to the nations, they were to be set apart from the world, to be different. And one of the key ways they were to be different is they walked by faith, not by sight, serving the king of kings. And the world should have looked at Israel and said, we want you have. Instead, the world, Israel looked at the world and said, no, we want what you have. So instead of being a light to the nations, Israel ended up being just like the nations. Now, according to our text, they wanted a king who would judge over them. Let's be honest, how much easier it is to submit to the rule of a king that you can see with your eyes than one that calls you to walk by faith. And folks, it's no different from us today. 
The call upon us is the same call that was upon Israel. Walk by faith and not by sight. Trust your king. But apparently a stubborn people like the Israelites needed a physical king to control their appetite and their behaviors. Why do I say that? Because we read this in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Now, in those days, there was no earthly king ruling over Israel because in the time of the judges, there was a king ruling over Israel. Who was it? It was God. Yeah, Israel always had a king. What they didn't always have was an earthly king. And so in those days, there was no earthly king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, it takes faith to walk by faith, to trust God. Israel couldn't do it. They needed an earthly taskmaster to keep them in line. Our text also says that they wanted an earthly king who would go out before us and fight our battles. Again, how much easier it is to follow a king into battle that you can see with your eyes than one that calls you to walk by faith. And yet, even though God had never lost a battle, right? God had never lost a battle. Who does the battle belong to? The battle belongs to the Lord. Even though God had never lost a battle, Israel said, we'll trade you in, God, because we want to follow a king that we can see with our eyes. Because walking by faith is hard, especially in times of battle. Because if you read the Bible, you know that when Israel went into battle, God often did crazy things. Remember, there was the one time that he, there was 30-some-odd thousand men ready to go into battle, and God keeps dismissing them down till there's 300 of them, right? 300. And he goes, you go into battle with these 300. And of course, you, they, they won. It's, it happens just as God said it was. But listen, folks, it takes faith to follow king like that. It takes faith to follow a king like that. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, the battle is raging today. We are in a war just like they were. Who does the battle belong to in this generation for the church? Folks, it does not belong in a political party. Our, the battle does not belong in Washington. It, it doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to our God. And either we're going to look at the world and go, we have to do what you're doing because the battle belongs out there. No, the battle belongs to God. We're going to look to him and you're welcome to join us. It's no wonder that Jeremiah says this, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. The worst political decision in all of human history. You know what it resulted in? For the next 500 years, Saul is appointed king right around 1,000 years before Christ. 1,050 is when Saul is appointed king. For the next 500 years, until Israel is ultimately conquered by the Babylonians, Israel would be, for the next 500 years, Israel would be ruled by 40 kings, all of all, all fallen, finite, frail, most of whom were wicked, all of them far from perfect. That's what happened. That was the result of saying, I'm going to walk out from here. The grass seems greener over there. What they have over there seems to be better than what God's offering here. It's not. The grass is always greenest under the mighty hand of God. Now, Here's why this matters to you and me. See, the pressing question for the church today is no different from the question, the, the pressing question of the, for the Israelites 3,000 years ago. And it's this. Will the church in the 21st century embrace our calling to be a light to the nations or will we give into temptation and become just like the nations? And if you haven't kept an eye on what's happening in the church, it is the latter that is happening, that we are becoming just like the nations. Israel was to be a nation set apart. And so is the church. Do you know what the word church means? 
comes from the Greek word ekklesia. There it is. It comes from two Greek words, ek meaning out and kaleo meaning called. We're the called out ones. We're to be called out, set apart. We're totally different from the world. This is our calling. Israel was called to that and they walked away from it and said, we want to be just like the nations. The question is in the 21st century, the church, we're the called out ones. What are we going to do? Will we walk by courageous faith before our God, remaining faithful, walking obediently before him, Or will we give into the temptation to go, you know what? We really want the world to like us. We're like adolescent children. I mean, we, not this necessarily this church, but the church at large, we're like adolescent children. It's like, oh, we just want the world to like us so much. Better that one man, God like us, one God, that God like us and the whole world like us, right? I'd rather stand with God alone than when the, than having the whole world in my corner. It's almost like the church is embarrassed to be set apart. As a result, what has happened? The church has embraced all sorts of crazy things in the past 10, 20, 30 years. We started watering down the gospel because we wanted the world to like us. We started using carnal methods to attract people to church because we were afraid that the gospel wasn't enough. We stopped calling people to count the cost of following Jesus. And we told them that Jesus will make your life better. No, following Jesus, you count the cost. You give your life away. It's a life of persecution and service to your king. Do you know what the nation of Israel was when God was their king? They were a nation that, they were like a sore, they stuck out like a sore thumb. Again, Israel, those two words, El is the name of God, Israel. This was the nation that had wrestled with God and had been set apart, different from all the other nations. They were to stick out like a sore thumb, but they didn't. Because they didn't want to walk by faith. They wanted to walk by sight. Israel let their earthly desires crowd out an eternal perspective. And that's the point, folks. What will the church do in this generation? Folks, the last thing, you know, the last thing that the nations 3,000 years ago needed was for Israel to cave. The nations, if they, if they had only known, they would have rushed to Israel and say, stand your ground and we're going to join you. But Israel gave them the worst gift that they could possibly give them, the worst political decision in the history of the world. They said, we're going to be just like you. The last thing that the world needs from the church today is for us to buckle and cave and try to get their approval. But let's circle back. Earlier, I asked you personally, is there an earthly desire that is keeping you from having an eternal perspective? We can talk about the church at large, but let's talk about our hearts in particular. Do you know what 1 Timothy says? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. In other words, being here under God's mighty hand, being godly and content is of great gain. You know what that means? This is where the grass is the greenest. It is. The grass is always greenest under the mighty hand of God. It's when we walk out there and go, no, I'm pretty sure the grass is great. It's not greener out there. Don't walk out from the God that has everything to give to go to a world that will only take from you. That's the heart of this message. Is a lack of contentment keeping you from having an eternal perspective? Are you looking at other people, looking at the world? Is there something in you that is just distracting you from realizing why you're here, why God has put you here, and the absolute gravity and weight of the importance of your life? You are here to be a light to the nations. You are here to be Jesus to the people around you. They say that you will be the only Jesus some people meet. Folks, think about that. That is so true. The gospel that comes from your mouth will be the only gospel some people will hear in this lifetime. That is how incredibly important you are. Don't let anything distract you from that calling. This life is but a breath. You're 
You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. You will be called to an account and you will be rewarded richly for your faithfulness. Remain faithful at all costs, amen? Walk before your king in courageous faith. Don't let anything distract you. I don't care how bright and shiny it is, what the world sets before you. You stay here. All stay here. Psalm 37, listen to this, 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Go ahead and look at the people of this world and combine them all together. All of their wealth, all of the shiny stuff they have, everything that they have accumulated together isn't as much as the little that the righteous has when the righteous are content with the little that they have. Amen? Amen. Paul warned Timothy about the cravings of our flesh. He said this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, the love of money, but there's a million other cravings in us that some have wandered. They lost their eternal perspective. Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, folks, it's so easy to look at what we don't have and forget all that God has given to us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father above. This is why the Bible tells us to continually give thanks. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. Listen, if Israel had had a thankful heart instead of a wandering eye, they never would have rejected God as their king. But same goes for us. If we but have a thankful heart instead of a wandering eye, we will remain faithful to the Lord. Folks, just thank God every day. I've said it before, I said it again. I have a blind brother. If you're ever having a bad day, just praise God that you can see. And I'm not kidding. Just close your eyes and try to walk around for an hour. If you've never let a blind person with them on your shoulder, thank God that you don't have to do that daily. Just your sight alone is enough for you to rejoice in. If you didn't have your sight your entire life and was given sight today, what would you do? You'd be the happiest person, on the most joyful, thankful person on the face of the planet, wouldn't you? And yet God has given you far more than just your sight. He's given you hearing. He's given you health. He's given you family. And the list goes on and on and on. Israel fell into that trap. They let their earthly desires crowd out an eternal perspective. So I finish with this verse. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Keep your, head, your mind there. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above and not on the things of earth. I finish with this question. Is there an earthly desire keeping you from having an eternal perspective? Amen? 